Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Home Class Movie Chat. I am your co-host, Paul, and today we have got a very, very special guest. We have got the one, the only, the actual host of Home Class Movie Chats. You know her as well as I do. It's Kat. You'll be as well as you do? Yes, they know. Well, okay. Not <laughs> as well as I know her, but you know her from her voice, Kat. I just haven't been here in a while because I've been busy building my business. And it's She's been, been on almost permanent hiatus. I've been trying to keep this thing going as much as I, I could possibly do because I've also got the Horror Crypt and I've got another podcast now. So I just don't want to have a life anymore. What's that? You don't have enough to do. So you're adding another podcast. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so we've been very, very uh, interested in doing this movie. This is the 1984 American space opera film directed by Nick Castle, The Last Starfighter. Yeah, one of my favorites from when I was a teenager. I've got to, I've got to say, since we've had a home, home theater um, in, our, in our house, watching these on the big screen, because I never ever saw these on the big screen, I just basically just watched them from VHS onto the TV. I absolutely love watching these movies now on the big screen. They're amazing. Yeah, that's like, until we had our home cinema, that was pretty much the only time I saw it was when it came out in the theaters, which is really dating me. I don't want people to know that. <laughs> well, I never, ever saw this one at the uh, at the cinema. I only ever saw it um, when it came to VHS. And it had such a great um, cover art um, that I'll actually include in this episode that actually really attracted me to actually watch this movie. So, no, and this movie also, along with Disney's Tron, has the distinction of being one of the of one of cinema's earliest films to use the extensive real-life computer-generated imagery, CGI, to depict many starships, environments, and battle scenes. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean Tron was an absolute. I mean, my I took my mother and father my mother and father to see Tron, and the funny part about it is that my mum and dad basically fell asleep, and my mum had always said to the day that she passed away. It was the only movie ever that she's ever fallen asleep to in a cinema. Yeah, I actually can see now that all the visual effects, aside from practical effects like makeup and explosions, and they were made on a Cray XMP computer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, when you do see, you know, parts of this movie and you can immediately see it's CGI, but it is, it's the infancy of CGI. It's not the very, very clean, crisp CGI that you'd see of like, you know, the Marvel you know, superheroes and stuff like that. But I remember it being very cutting edge in the day. Now it's interesting because according to the screenwriter, the idea for the movie came about because he wandered into a video arcade and saw a young boy playing a video game. And at the time he was reading The Once and Future King by T.H. White, which is about King Arthur. Yeah. And it occurred to him that if the video game had been a sword in the stone and the boy had scored an incredible number on in the video game, which sent out a ripple effect across the universe. That's how it all started. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I didn't realize this, but this was Robert Pat, uh, Preston's final role in the theatrical film. The uh, character of Centauri, a lovable con man, was written with him in mind and was a nod to his most famous role as Professor Harold Hill in The Music Man. That was Robert Preston, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was so brilliant in The Music Man. There was also a subsequent novelization of the film by Alan Dean Foster, as well as a video game based on the production. And yep. in 2004, it was also adapted as an off-Broadway musical. I don't know how you would do The Last Starfighter as a off-Broadway musical. Okay, a better question is why would you do the opera? Uh, 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 <laughs> because that would include music. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, please tell me there's a bootleg copy of that somewhere I can get my hands on. I don't oh. That would be hilarious because I could, I just can't imagine Centauri, you know, picking up Alex and actually having a sing song in the car. I have got to see this. That'd be like karaoke in the future. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be hilarious. Oh God, but yeah, Robert Preston, um, who actually plays Alex Rogan, um, we actually happened to, or actually Kat found him, his latest picture on... Um, you don't be mean. Uh, he did not age well, as you said. He really didn't. 
I, you know, you see him as this very, I mean, I don't know, this, yeah, I mean, look, I look down at like the, the this whole situation as far as the budget. I mean, it was released on July 13th, 1984. It goes for 101 minutes. So that's a fairly long movie when, you know, back in 84. Um, the budget was 15 million, but the box office was $28,733,290. So you think to yourself, okay, it was considered to be a blockbuster at that time. Um, and it probably equates to a quite a lot more now. But, you know, you think maybe that this would have been a stepping stone into a, a career for him. But this was his final role in a, in a, in a movie. So Lance Guest's final role? No, no, no. Robert Preston, the one who played oh, Alex. Yeah, he died not long after, but like within four years of lung cancer, because he'd been a really heavy smoker for many years. No, no, no. I'm talking about Lance. I'm talking about Lance Guest. Who yeah, actually, that's what I, yeah. Yeah. It was his last movie. Oh, yeah, because that was that was Robert Preston's last movie, which wow, was okay. yeah. Um, oh, the oh the other part you looked at is that the movie was made in only forty days. Yeah, that's incredible. They shot, well, they shot it in forty days. Yeah. After that, it was computer stuff. Yeah, I mean Lance Guest. You know, you think to yourself that he he's the star of the movie. You know, as Alex, and you think that you know maybe it might have actually taken him somewhere else, but uh, yeah, didn't, didn't really, really take him out. anywhere. Interesting. And and he did have a um. Yeah, didn't have the, the, uh, it didn't age well. So before yeah. we get started, we are going to play the trailer of this movie. So do you think we should play that now? Yeah. Okay, ahead. let's do it. Come on, Alex, they're here. Alex Rogan had a dream. You really are leaving here, aren't you? To be as far away from here as possible. You get your chance when it comes. You gotta grab it with both hands. It started with a game. You gonna bust the record. But it wasn't just any game. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. And then one night. Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Hey. Alex didn't find his dream. Frontier against Zur and the Kodan Armada. Of all the life forms on all the planets in all the galaxies. Oh my God! One has been chosen. is the last starfighter. For every Earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond the stars. Maybe there is a starfighter left. I love you, Alex Rogan. Comes the unforgettable story of one who made it. <laughs> the last starfighter. So that trailer that they actually have, I think it's, it's really, and that's probably one of the reasons that I really wanted to sit and watch this movie um, when I was a kid, because it really showed you, it was almost like Star Wars, but not, I mean, Star Wars is obviously, that will never be eclipsed. But yeah, there was something about that trailer that I just really enjoyed watching. And I thought that, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, going to a, a distant world, I mean, that would just be, you know, that, that would be amazing. I'd, I mean, it would, it would never happen in my lifetime at all that we could actually jump into a spaceship and just go, <laughs> go for a cruise out, out to the solar system, you know, or out through, you know, just take a, a fly through Mar uh, Mars and go back. It's like, you know, 
But yeah, it was all it's it, um, best friends with Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. You might get to go. Yeah, I don't I don't see me having a hundred million dollars on hand right now. But I think even if I did have that sort of money, I mean, those guys are traveling to you know space because they've got so much money they don't know what to do with it. So honestly, if I had that kind of money, I'd want to end homelessness. That, 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 yeah, that would be a lovely thing to think of, but that will never ever unfortunately happen because a lot of those people, and we don't want to be political on this, but a lot of that is to do with drugs related and stuff like that. Yeah, but if people could get the kind of support that they need, they wouldn't be in that situation. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, so, so it's like um, there's this thing where you where they're converting like can shipping containers to, into housing, um, you know, little and in, in little and little tiny houses for for homeless people and making little villages. Yeah. I don't know how I would do it. All I know is that I would use that. If I had that level of money, I'd be doing something like that. Yeah. And as I said, the, the trailer really made you feel like you could jump into a spaceship and travel to the stars. Yeah. And, you know, it was just it was just such a fun trailer. Yeah. So Alex Rogan is a teenager living in a trailer park with his mother and younger brother, Lewis. Lewis is so cool. I love that kid. Um, after being rejected for a scholarship, Alex becomes angry and he's going nowhere existence. So the movie opens up where it's a lovely scene of a trailer park. Now I said to you when we were watching this, this is a trailer park that I would actually love to live in. It's a community. It's a community. It's not one of those dead end horrible trailer parks because you because you've got you know some lady you know screaming out that you know her her electricity is gone again. She's going to miss her soap operas. Um, and then you've got you know Lewis who's got this um, spaceman helmet on. That he's walking through the trailer park with um, a gun that shoots um, darts, and he's basically shooting at everyone that he can. Shooting everybody um, in the butt. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, you know, um, Alex's mother, um, you now she seems to be, now, do you think they own the trailer? I don't think they own the trailer park. I think they're just the manager. Or just manage it. I'm not sure which. Yeah. So she's basically works, she's a single mum. She works um, at a diner and she's working quite a lot. And Alex is basically, I think he's almost like part of the, like the maintenance crew because, you know. His mom, I think, is the manager of the park and he's like the handyman. Yeah, because he, you know, when when um, the lady's power goes out, you know, it's like because the, the movie is opening that the fact that um, Alex's girlfriend, Maggie, they're going to go off to the lake. They're going to go out for the day, you know, um, basically enjoying themselves. Because that's what teenagers do in places where there's nothing else to do. Exactly. And so, you know, when um, when it was, that's right, the lady's name was Elvira. And Elvira is the one that has the electricity that goes out. And she basically says, uh, Alex's mum says, look, can you go find Alex? Because this is, you know, this has happened. And of course, when it is, when they do find um, Alex, Alex is playing the Starfighter game. And the only entertainment in this trailer park comes from the, uh, the arcade game Starfighter, which the player defends the frontier against Zua and the Kodan Armada in a space battle. So, would you, know, you know Robert Preston did that voiceover for the video game intro, right? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's really great. That's a great voice. I know. I'd love to have that computer game. That'd be awesome if we if someone could know, actually come right? up with that one. If someone could actually make that one, that'd be awesome. Well, Atari actually produced the produced it as a game for the fifty two hundred Super System and four hundred and eight series home computers with the tie into the movie, but they never apparently they never went past the prototype phase. Oh, Although that's... there are copies out there. The game was nothing like the arcade machine that Alex Rogan played in the movie. The technology didn't exist at the time to produce real-time 3D polygonal graphics on a home machine. Rumor also has that Atari produced one prototype Last Starfighter arcade machine, but it's since been lost. An early Atari 2600 program was revamped into the game and released to Solaris. Oh, damn, that would be a great game if they could actually come up with it now. With yeah, the technology the machine and see if Solaris is on it. Oh, uh, yeah, it might be. It has a lot of the old Atari games on it. Yeah, I'll have a look to see if Solaris is on it. So uh, after Alex becomes the game's high score player, he is approached by the game's inventor, Centauri, who invites him to take a ride in his fancy car as a prize for winning the game. So basically what happens is that Alex is basically has to stay back from um, going out to the to the uh, lake with Maggie and, and their friends, and he could see this whole thing. I said to you, and actually, no, you said this to me that you know Elvira is going to miss her soap operas. Now, is there soap operas in the evening in the daytime? Because it takes him all day to fix this stuff. Okay, well, soap operas. Well, okay, okay, first of all, um, see if you can guess which car um, Centauri's car was was based modeled after. No, I have no idea. I if you gave okay. me a hundred choices. 
seriously yeah with those gull wings the gull uh wings. delorean yeah it was made from a delorean it was modeled on a delorean <laughs> okay well yeah. okay okay so that so okay well the doors would have been a dead giveaway then but i didn't yeah, even yeah. think of that because my first thought when i saw that oh a delorean it's like back to the future um but no, the, the, the soap operas that, that Elvira is talking about are, are things like Days of Our Lives and All My Children, the daytime soaps, which is ironic that he sits there and she's like, you know, I need my power back. I need to miss my stories. Well, if it's going to take him all day to repair it, she's going to miss him anyway. Yeah. So in all honesty, if I, you know, if I was his mom, I'd be like, listen, you know, <laughs> Alex is going somewhere today. You're going to have to just do, well, actually, no, you couldn't do that. Because if you're the manager of, of the of the trailer park, you know the poor woman has to have some sort of power. She might. You don't get um, it. Hey? You really don't get a day off when you have a job like that. No, but also you know things in her refrigerator might go off, and so you end up by paying. Saying no, you'd have to do that. But you know, poor old Alex, he he ends up by having to do this for the whole day. And so when Maggie is dropped home of the night time, where is Alex? Alex is playing Starfighter, which as as it says, is the only thing that he can do. And so he's just sitting there and he's just playing away. And, and like most of us that play computer games, we don't really, a lot of the time, unless you're really hyper-focused on the on the score, you don't really think about it. You're just playing the game. And then suddenly Maggie looks and goes, oh my God, what the hell? And they look at me and of course he looks and he goes, what is that 900,000? And of course, Otis, who is um, the cafe manager or, you know, of, of the place, he he's a lovely African-American man. He sort of like stands up because he's sitting at a, at a table and he comes over to Alex and he goes, 900,000, you're going to break the record. So, of course, he yells that he's, you know, Alex is going for the record. And the entire trailer park basically gets up and runs up the stairs to come and see Alex play the Starfighter game. And yeah. I mean, and, and as I said, this is why it feels like it's such a great um, uh, community because everyone's involved in every, But, you know, as much as I say that everyone's involved in everyone's life, what did you say about that? That everybody's involved in everybody's life. Yeah, everyone would know your business. You know everything about everybody. Yeah, but it's such a re very, very safe community. And I love the the name of the trailer park. It's Starlight, Star Bright. Yep. And the bright being B-R-I-T-E. Yeah. Just going back to that crowd scene when Alex is going for the record, if you look really closely, you can see a very young Will Wheaton. Oh, you're kidding me. No. I didn't even see. Well, okay, because I didn't. He Was he credited at all or just the kid? No, he's credited. Um, <laughs> he's credited in a he had, I think so. Anyway, I'd have to check it. But okay, I'll, I'll check that in a second. Um, so Will Wheaton's speaking scenes were actually deleted. He can be seen in two different scenes. One, running around the trailer park in the early morning when they're first going to look for him. Yeah. And you see him wearing a red football jersey. And then in the final scene, uh, oh yeah, that's right. He wasn't in that in the in the that crowd, but he was in the crowd at the end of the movie, um, standing behind Lewis wearing a blue jacket, possibly over the red jersey. Okay. Yeah. See, I mean, he wasn't even yeah, wasn't even credited. So of course, when Alex wins and gets the the you know record breaking thing, he basically is sitting there and you know he, he's basking in his glory, which he should do because he's been. I don't know how many quarters he's pumping into that bloody machine because he, yeah. he must be spending a, spending a fortune. And Will was credited as Lewis's friend. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not that he really makes a very big appearance. So, yeah. you know, Alex is basically, you know, I think this is the first time that Maggie actually says, you know, you really are, you, you really want to get out of here. You really want to do something with your life. And he's like, yeah, I, I do. He said, I want to, you know, I want to leave, go to school and come back and we'll get an apartment together. And and of course, Maggie's got that. And I don't think that Maggie's overly enthralled about doing that because she is very scared about leaving the trailer park. Whereas Alex wants the adventure. He wants to leave. He wants to go and do something. And of course, um, at that stage, you know, he goes to his mother's, uh, to the, ha the house where they live. And of course, the mother sort of like comes in and he says, oh, guess what? I broke the Starfighter record. And she goes, oh, that's, uh, that's nice, dear. And he goes, nice. It's stupendous. It's like that's nice, dear. Did you fix Elvira's power? <laughs> yeah, and of course, then she says, "Um, I'll listen." Uh, and I don't know what his what the guy's name is. Not important. The postman came by the diner and gave her the um, you know, the the the, because he's actually trying to get into a college. He's actually trying to get a loan to get into the college, and of course, if, if we find out that Alex has been denied, he can't actually um go to college. He can go to City College, but he can't go to the one that he wants. 
So of course, this is when Alex runs, you know, runs out of the house and he, he's basically standing near the Starfighter game and this very awesome car pulls up and this guy comes out and says, oh, can I, can you find me the, or do you know the person that broke the Starfighter record? He goes, yeah, you're talking to him. It's Alex. Yeah, I'm Alex. And he goes, oh, I've got a uh, proposition for you. you know, do you want to come into the car? What does people say, you know, as a kid, you never, ever do? You're just getting cursed. He didn't even offer him candy. No, no. <laughs> so he gets into the car and, of course, um, Centauri goes, oh, this is, you know, I'd you know, introduce you to, to Beta. And, of course, as Alex shakes Beta's hand, there's a huge spark in the car. And then Beta like, gets out and they shut the door. And, of course, this is when Centauri decides to take him on a ride, which is actually his space car. And Alex is, is essentially abducted. And a doppelganger android named Beta is used to cover Alex's absence. Okay, can I just jump in for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So, apparently, a great deal of the scenes with the Beta unit were shot after the main filming was complete because the test audiences liked the comic relief of the Beta unit scenes. And the director decided that they added more originality to the boy gets to go to outer space story. This is why in many of the Beta unit scenes, Lance Guest is wearing a wig because he had to cut his hair by the time those scenes were shot. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, actually, I must admit that the, the fact that they leave, uh, the, they leave Beta as a doppelganger to try and you know um, cover his his you know disappearance, I think is a great great aspect. Yes, it, it's it's perfect. Yeah. So Alex learns that the Starfighter arcade game represents a real life conflict between uh, the Rylon Star League and the Kodan Empire. The latter is led by Zur, the the native Rylon trader, and the Sun's ambassador Enduran. Would you believe Robin Williams was originally approached to play Zur? I don't. I just don't see it. It, it, yeah, it, the, the mood, yeah, no. Zua was really, I mean, Zua is a, a bad guy and he doesn't really, if you had Robin Williams in, I mean, not that Robin Williams could do any wrong. I think he would be, a, he's a great character actor, but I don't think that Zua would have actually lent him the, the scope that he would have actually he had was, to play he was that. He a spoiled child. Well, that's what Zua was. He was because he was the ambassador's son. And of course, then he broke yeah, off. In, in a lot of ways, it was like he was a precursor to um, uh, Adam Driver's character in the new Star Wars movies. Yeah. That spoiled little shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that I don't know whether Robin Williams, I mean, I'm glad that he turned it down because Robin Williams was yeah. a lot better than just being Zua, you know, yeah. really I mean, wasn't. I mean, not that he wouldn't be brilliant in it and that he isn't capable of playing a small role. But it just, I agree, I don't think it would have been a good fit for him. Yeah. So the game was designed as a test to find those with the gift Alex expected to be the gunner for a Starship spacecraft called the Gunstar. <laughs> His partners with a reptilian pilot named Greg. Now, we actually said something, actually you said it, which actually I didn't even think about. So when um, Centauri, when they arrive at uh, their destination, he gets out the, Alex gets out the car. And of course, they're speaking a language that he's got no idea what they're talking about. It was, it's only until he is um, fitted with a translator that he actually can hear in English what they're saying. Now, what did you say? Because they actually fit him with the, um, with the translator when he's just in his civilian clothing. And they put it on the underside of the collar of his civilian shirt. Yeah. Which ironically, the little thing that they used was the inner workings of a digital watch. Oh, really? <laughs> That's cool. I know, I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, but no, the first thing I said is, well, what happens when he takes off the shirt? Yeah. Because so, what they should have done was made it some kind of an implant and put it like behind his ear or something. Now, not, not fast forwarding it to the end of the movie, but when they come back to Earth and Grig is actually introduced to Alex's mother and to Maggie and to um, Lewis and yeah, everyone else. Each other. How would they have understood him? Yeah, exactly. He, he still doesn't speak English. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of like a faux pas that I think yeah. that there sometimes they really have to, I mean, as I said, you know, I'm not a director, I'm not a screenwriter, whatever, but it's those little, little things that you think of, you think, well, hang on a minute. You know, you really need, if you're doing those sort of movies, think to yourself what they're going to have to do, you know, to, to make this believable. Yeah. Because in, in all honesty, when Grig was introduced to everyone back on earth, it should have been Alex that was the translator because only yeah. he can understand yeah. him. Exactly. Well, no, Grit would have a translator on him as well to understand everyone else. But 
he still wouldn't be able to speak to them in their language because they wouldn't they don't have the translator to understand him yes and then that's why alex would have to sit there and go oh Greg said this, Greg said that, yeah. rather than Greg just coming out and well, talking. Well, I suppose they just wanted to save time on that part. Probably, Nobody yeah. Nobody likes it when people have to interpret in movies. That's like the annoying part for when like somebody who is like the ghost whisperer and she has to go between the conversation. I mean, I don't mind that. I mean, I, I, I love some of that aspect, but sometimes it's a glaring. And the thing is yeah. that, and this is what I, darling, I love being married to you. Okay. I do. But sometimes this is what I hate about watching movies with you because I sat there and watched this movie since the age of like 14, mm -hmm. enjoying my life, not even thinking about it. I meet you and you go, oh, but hang on a minute. How are they actually understanding him without the translator? Now I can't watch this movie without sitting there going, whoops, that's a faux pas. Sorry. I okay, do can, love you. Can I make up, up for it with a fun fact? You're going to make chicken? No, that's not a fun fact. That is a fun fact for me. <laughs> I, yeah, I love I love her chicken um grilled chicken salad her grilled chicken salad god I can't I, I must have I was very hungry last night and all I kept thinking about was grilled chicken salad <laughs> well I'll get some out of the freezer I'll make it this week nice what's um, your fun fact okay so the fun fact is okay Dan O'Hare Lahey played Greg okay yep Robert Preston and Dan O'Hare Lahey had never met before this movie. When they finally met on the set, O'Hare Lahey was already in the full Greg makeup with the full head mask. O'Hare Lahey introduced himself and Preston jokingly replied that of course he recognized O'Hare Lahey because he had one of those faces. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just want and at one point, Dan O'Hare Lahey shows... Um, uh, uh, Alex, a photo of his family, and in the family portrait, Dan O'Hare, he is also Greg's wife. <laughs> oh my God! Seriously? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Because at one stage, Alex is basically uh, uh, Greg actually asks him, you know, where does he he live? And of course, he says, "Oh, that's right." Because he says, oh, "I live." Uh, Greg says, oh, "I live underground with." I think you know so many hundreds of, of family members yeah. and he goes where you know where do you live Alex and he goes oh I live uh, above ground it's on a, in a trailer it's like um a cave that moves and he goes huh, a cave that moves but Greg shows him some photographs of uh, and it's all it's all like it's one photograph that changes to many photographs and the last one you see is Greg you know the picture of his wife so that was the guy <laughs> that's hilarious he also learns that the frontier is a force field protecting Rylos and his surrounded planets from invasion. Zua has given the Kodan the means to breach it. So a little backstory. Um, Zua is the ambassador's son. And of course, what happens is that the ambassador is you know, basically keeping the whole empire safe. But of course, Zua decides that, no, no, I want to have my own. I want to rule you know, my own place. So he basically breaks away from his father. And he does give um, the Kodan the means to breach through Rylos. So basically Rylos is you know, a, a planetary um, body, but it's actually got a force field around it. And there is basically, he's just giving him the exit, given the entire Kodan uh, Armada, the access code to get in there. And of course, this is why the ambassador basically says to Jazur, uh, you are not my son. I want nothing to do with you. Just get the hell away from me sort of situation. So this is why at this stage, um, you know, Alex, is basically now just thrown into this interstellar war that he just thinks it was just a computer game because you know who would ever ever think that you know you're playing i mean it's the same way as the movie tron where the very first tron that was done is that you know you just think you're playing a computer game but then suddenly you find yourself on the game grid in a life cycle or the jumanji remake or actually to be fair to be fair about that i mean i was such a purist with the with uh jumanji because there is no one that is better than Robin Williams. Yeah. But I must admit that it was actually a really fun movie. I am actually definitely going to get, um, I think we've got number one. No, I think we own number two. No. Number two? What? I don't know. I think I don't we know. Are, yeah, but I, I am going to get the other one because I really, it was a fun game. Oh, sorry, yeah, fun we're, movie. We're going, we're going to eventually do the Jumanji new series, the Welcome to the Jungle and Return to the Jungle um, because they I are- think we should they're actually really good films and there's a lovely tribute in the first one to Robin Williams and we've already done Jumanji the original one haven't we on this yeah so we need to do numbers yeah so Zua reveals that he has discovered an infiltrator in his ranks and broadcasts the spy's execution to the Star League and this is 
yeah, back in the yeah, back in the day, I think there was a this is a, I mean this is eighty four. This was um a pretty um pretty intense pretty intense sort of uh, thing because there's Alex and he's sitting in you know with all these other creatures. They I mean yeah, he's just sitting with creatures. And he's watching this guy being executed. And the, the way the execution is, this guy's just sitting in a chair and a laser beam is basically, uh, you know, brought down onto his head and he's basically being melted. And then the movie's cut. Now, I understand that this was, uh, I think it was a PG movie. Um, and, you know, they couldn't really show a lot of, of this. But, I mean, I think this is pretty much as, as hardcore as it really does get. So he then proclaims that once Rylos Moon is eclipsed, the Code and Armada will begin their invasion, unnerving... Unnerved by everything he's seen, Alex asks to be taken home. So, and I, I can understand this. I mean, you, you've been thrown into this interstellar war that you thought was a computer game, and then, holy crap, this thing's going on? Like, really? And, you know, he's, he's sitting there going to Centauri, yeah, I, I can't do this. I need to go I need to go home. Please let me, let me go home. But Centauri does say to him that, you know, Earth is part of the Star League. I mean, it, it's going to be invaded sooner or later. And he basically does tell him that you know you can live a very you know full, you know full life on Earth until you're invaded. So it's going to happen. So the only thing standing between you know Earth's invasion and of course um, Rylos's invasion is the Starfighters. But of course things take a turn for the worst as we're going to find out. Do you have any fun facts? Um, I do actually. Um, that there were a bunch of not not related to the scene i'm just actually looking at other stuff but several of the actors were in star trek in the star trek universe in addition to will wheaton um but most notable was meg wiley who played granny she was one of the Tolosian keepers in the original series pilot star trek the original series the cage in 1966 oh my god but get oh it gets better Absolutely. Hang on, is that the is that the one that you showed me where they where um Captain Kirk gets locked in the cage and he's he's like on display? No, it's the original pilot that they oh. okay and um uh Leonard Nimoy was the only cast member they kept. That's right, and the 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 um Captain Kirk was the inferior Captain Kirk, the one that they just used as just no, like... it was it was uh, Christopher Pike was the yeah it was wasn't that Captain Kirk? No, Kirk was the second pilot and continued on with the series. The original pilot was um, Christopher Pike, and they had him um, because they have him come back in a in an in another episode, and he's in this wheelchair where all you can see is his head, and they use yep. um, flashbacks from the original pilot. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, Meg Wiley, Granny, was in that one but i just also discovered that nick castle the director lance guest who was alex and dan o'herlihy who was greg all had been in the halloween movie franchise oh my god so nick castle was watching halloween 2 where um lance guest was playing jimmy and he asked who he was because he really thought that he had like that kind of like that everyman quality of a young Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, or Gary Cooper, and wanted him for The Last Starfighter. So he went to John Carpenter and said, who is this guy? When he was watching some of the edits in post-production, he's like, okay, I want to talk to him. That's how he found Lance Guest. But get this, Nick Castle himself played Michael Myers in the 1978 Halloween. Oh my God, thank you. I kept trying to work out, why do I know his name? Why do I know Nick Castle's name? And it and, and Dan O'Herlihy, Grig, played... Connell Cochran in Halloween 3 season of the witch in 1982 yeah that was a shit one I mean any any you know fans of, of the Halloween franchise will always say that Halloween 3 was the worst one because there was no Michael in it whatsoever but I was trying to work out why I knew Nick Castle and I should have known that because I'm a fan of of Halloween yeah. and yeah I realize now that he he was he did play uh, Michael yeah uh, that's amazing they are talking about doing um, a reboot or a sequel that start. those conversations started in 2020, but obviously nothing's really happened yet. No, oh, okay. So on Earth, Centauri tells Alex to contact him should he change his mind. And of course, he gives him these this little crystal and he says, you know, if you want to, you know, change your mind, just tap crystals. And of course, Alex sort of like looks at it and goes, no, nah, keep it. And he goes, uh -uh, Alex, 
this is a great gift that I'm giving you. And if you want to change your mind, you all you have to do is tap the crystal. You don't, you will not get a second chance if you throw this back at me. And of course, he go, he, he keeps it. You know, I mean, he's like, okay, fair enough, whatever. So in the meantime, a saboteur eliminates the starfighter bases, sorry, base defenses, causing heavy damage, killing the starfighters and destroying the gun stars. Only Greek and the advanced prototype gun stars one survive. So Alex discovers Beta and contacts and Terry to re retrieve him. So I love it the way that he actually is, um, he actually finds Beta. So, of course, Alex goes home. Now, this is the real Alex, I might add. Goes home, he sits on his bed and he hear, he feels someone being, like moving underneath the covers. And of course, that's when uh, Beta reveals himself. And this is actually, you know, back in 84, they really didn't have the technology where they could actually, you know, like duplicate the same actor perfectly. That's not completely true. Okay. Because if you think about the parent trap with Haley Mills. Never saw it. Okay, we may have to do something about that. No. Um, but Poo-poo-poo. Poo-poo is okay once in a while, mister. <laughs> I watch all the crap that you like to watch. Oh, please. Yeah. How many times have I sat there and watched Halo or, or, or Rainbow with you? Uh, she doesn't complain about that. She actually encourages me to watch Halo and watch Rainbow um, yeah. Gaming. So, no, she's got no basis on that one. Please move on. Yeah, but the point is, is that I, I know I, I don't, I basically sit there and play on my phone while, or fall asleep while you do it. But, you know, I still watch it with you. I, I can identify the stupid maps in Rainbow. I know you do, which freaks me the hell out. Which tells you how much I've watched something I really don't care about because you enjoy it. So it's okay for you to watch something that I enjoy once in a while, like West Side Story. Oh, God. <laughs> Heavily medicated with alcohol, I think. Um, but no, you were saying about the parent trap. Right. Okay. So that came out in, I think, the late 60s. And Haley Mills played identical twins. Okay. But were that, I mean, was it, was it believable? Yeah. So the same as The Last Starfighter. Alex talking to Beta, it was believable. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he actually discovers him. And of course, you know, Alex does say, you know, he goes, uh, like Beta says, yeah, I was the person that you shook hands with in the car. And of course he, of course, Alex goes, you know, you don't know what's going on up there. And of course he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of know what's going on. And he goes, well, why don't you just switch places with me? And he goes, oh yeah, well, synthetics are not allowed to fight Alex. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can just pretend to be me. And he goes, no, we, we can't do that. We don't have that capabilities. So he's like, oh, okay. And then, of course, this is when um, we realize that, uh, you know, Beta basically does say to him, listen, you know, you've been given a great gift. You should really go back and try and save the Star League. So this is when he does, Alex does run out and starts okay, well, Before you do that, though, it we actually just passed over one of my favorite moments in the film. <laughs> yeah. Which is when Lewis, who's on oh, Bunk wakes up and they're in use and go shut up Lewis <laughs> oh that's right yeah they both say that Go back to sleep Lewis <laughs> and of course when Alex does leave um Beta is uh because what happens is that um Alex goes back to where the Starfighter game is and he's tapping the crystals to see if if you know Centauri can come and retrieve him and of course at this stage we've had a drifter that's actually been dropped off to the um the trailer park who's actually a, an alien assassin yeah, and he becomes an alien assassin. So, you know, when Alex is standing there trying to tap the crystals, and of course, Beta runs up to say, you know, uh, what's going on, then he's suddenly shot by this alien assassin. At that moment, Centauri happens to you know, arrive on the uh, on the scene and shoots his right arm off, which is actually, you think, oh, awesome, he's been, you know, this, this assassin's been, been shot. But of course, then what happens is that the arm is still moving and shoots Beta straight in the stomach. And uh, so this is all going on. Luckily, Alex dives into the car and just before they're about to, to leave. He hit in the stomach. He hit uh, he, so Sorry, he hit Centauri in the stomach. That's right. Um, and then off, off they go back to back to Rylos. Of course, as they're, they're going along, you know, Alex is sitting in the back of the car in, in the middle of outer space. And of course, Centauri is not looking good. He's, he's really um, starting to, I don't know, he's starting to shut down basically. Because he's been so badly injured. Yeah. So of course, when when they do arrive back at Rylos, um, Centauri, when they fly back there, um, Centauri unfortunately succumbs to his injuries, and uh, of course, Alex then then finds Grig as they prepare the Gunstar to battle the Kodan Armada, and this Gunstar is absolutely beautiful. It is is one. It's really an, an amazing um, 
piece of technology. I mean, you, when you look at the movie, you think you can, you can see that it's computer rendered and it's computer generated. I don't think they had the budget to go and make a full gun star or something like that. So they really, yeah. Uh, back for this. Okay. The spaceship, spaceship, oh, sorry, used by the second Zandozan assassin beast was one of Ron Cobb's rejected designs from Alien. Really? It was rejected at the concept stage. So it was never built until he used it for this film. Hang on. So that's the, that's the, is that that's not Gunstar One? That's no, the, the, no, I was thinking it was, but no, it was the the assassin ship. Oh, okay. That uh, that, that um is is crashed into later in the film. Oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't actually that bad. But but, but while while we're stopped for a second, I've got two other quick fun facts for you. Yeah. The opening shot of the planet Rylos against a star field was originally conceived to begin as part of the Universal logo, but the stuffed shirts at the studio didn't like the idea of replacing the Earth with another planet. This probably uh, would have gone differently had it been a Warner Brothers production, which is famous for tinkering with its logo. But initially, Alex was supposed to be from the suburbs, but Nick Castle changed the location to a trailer park. The biggest reason was that pretty much every film from that era involved Steven Spielberg, um, such as uh, E.T., Close Encounters, and Poltergeist, and they all used the suburbs as a setting. Secondly, he wanted a more isolated location for Alex to have an extended family that allowed the audience to identify with him and root for him. Yeah, I must admit, the trailer park really, and this is why I said it, it felt like a very lovely community because, um, you know, you, you wouldn't get the same sort of community feel in the suburbs that you've got in the trailer park. And I think that that's why this movie lends itself to be such a nice movie to watch because you know, you're getting, you're getting the space battles, you're getting, you know, um, you know, humanity and stuff like that, but you're getting the, the community feel that everyone's rooting for Alex when, you know, yeah. when he was, you know, going for the, for the record. So I think, yeah, it was, a, it was a definitely a good uh, location choice. I just found one, I just, excuse me, saw one that kind of made my jaw drop. Ron Cobb, did you know that Ron Cobb, who designed the sports car Centauri drives, was originally picked to design the time machine for Back to the Future? No, I didn't know that one. Yep. I must admit, though, that I think that, that um, Centauri's car and, you know, the DeLorean in Back to the Future, uh, they stand alone as, as two great cars of cinema. But I think it would, yeah, you can sort of, I mean, now I can see, yes, you're giggling. Going back to the translator. The translator that is placed on Alex's collar on a shirt that he incidentally changes halfway through the film and continues to understand alien languages. Yeah. Point me is one of several moments during the commentary that Nick Castle and Ron Cobb sheepishly admit to a level of cheesiness or mistakes. I think we would call it cheesy now in the 90s, Castle says. Later, during the Star Cars Return to Rylos, Cobb points out a shot where you can see the extended set reflected in the windshield. Oh. Castle also points out the goofy wig worn by Lance Guest during a reshoot of the scene after Guest had already cut his hair. Yeah. And as I said, this is, you know, I. Well, let's see. I was, if this was released in 84, yeah, I was 12 when this movie came out. So I would have been 13 when I got to see it because it got VHS, obviously, a year after that. Um, so I was actually very happy to to watch this until I saw, I saw it with you and you're like, yeah, but how would he have understood what he's talking about? Because, yeah, they never put another translator on him. It's like almost like just one and that's it. Alex and Maggie were originally named Skip and Penny. Oh, God, no. Because it was too cartoony. No, no, that's not a that's not a good name for them. No, no, Alex and Maggie is fine. Um, and producer Gary Adelson's wife, who has a small part as the first Rylan Alex sees at Starfighter Command, is named Maggie, which is likely where um, Maggie's character got her name. Oh, okay. Well, the, I mean, it, Rylan, well the first Rylan that Alex meets is Maggie Adelson, the wife of the film's producer. So the one who's like who's got the crossed fingers, going, "Come on." Yep. Yeah, that, that's the producer's wife. When he when he said when she says Kita, Kita, and he goes, Yeah, Kita. If you want to know funny, uh, funny names of movie of uh, characters in movies, um, The Return of the Living Dead has two characters, Bert and Ernie, in it. <laughs> so does It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, yes, it does, Bert and Ernie. And I'm pretty sure that's where the Sesame Street characters came from. Probably. Yeah. So, of course, while Grig is training Alex, Beta finds it difficult to maintain his impersonation, particularly with Maggie, Alex's girlfriend, after discovering that the group of Xanderzans have set up communication center from their spaceship outside the trailer park, Beta reveals everything to Maggie. 
And of course, the way that he does it is very, very interesting because they go up to the lake and, um, you know, Alex, well, Beta is trying to, you know, you know, trying to be what what uh, Alex is supposed to be. And of course, Maggie is trying to make a move on him. And it just it's just not working. So then Beta sort of like overhears on the other side of the lake, this guy being, you know, trying to get get with his girlfriend. And so he's basically saying everything that this guy is saying. And of course, as it, as it comes, you know, Maggie doesn't believe him until the Xander Zen discovers the pair and Beta is shot, exposing the damaged circuitry. Of course, because he was saying, listen, I'm not... I'm not Alex. I'm Beta. I uh, Alex is up in the stars. He's fighting this. And of course, Maggie's like, really? Like, do you really think I'm going to believe this? And of course, this is when the Xander Zan shoots Alex. Sorry, Beta. And of course, there's circuitry everywhere. And of course, this is when he looks at Maggie and goes, see? And this is when you know it's like, oh my God, yes, you really are, you know, this person. So they steal a friend's pickup truck and charge it at the Xander Zan ship. Uh, Beta has Maggie jump out of out of the car before sacrificing himself by crashing into the ship, destroying it. And the pickup truck was is really quite a nice pickup truck. So really, I don't think your friend's going to sit there and go, oh, okay, so you just grabbed my my truck and you've just destroyed it. And this is when like Maggie looks. She was like, hey, what the hell, man? I know. And this is when Maggie sort of like looks up and goes, you know, I love you, Alex Rogan. And okay, this is some some of it is cheesy. I'll I'll say that. But this is like 101 minutes of just fun, uh, just a fun movie. It really is. Yeah, it really is. So Alex and Grig attack the Kodan mothership, crippling its communications. Once Alex's weapons are depleted, he desperately activates a secret weapon on the Gunstar called the Death Blossom. I know. So as they're flying along, you know, they're trying to get closer to their... He has a 1% chance of survival. Yes. And, of course, they're flying along. Now, Alex is the, the gunner. And, of course, Grig is the one that maintains the life support and the communications and everything else. And, you know, as they're flying along, you know, Alex says, what's this here? And, he go, and of course, Grig like, don't touch that. He said, that's what we call the last resort. In the event that this happens, all the, all the weapons will fire all at once. And he's like, oh, okay, no worries. So, you know, they're flying along. And then, of course, as they're getting closer to the um, the mothership, all the other fighters are coming at, at them. And, you know, Alex is shooting this and that. And they're, they're just everywhere. And, of course, this is when, you know, it's getting closer and closer. And um, he's saying to Greg, well, wh- when can I do it? When can I do it? And he's like, well, no, 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 they, they engaged in dogfight. Yeah. To, to, to get overwhelmed and whatever. So they went and hid in an asteroid. And they're t- and he's saying how you know it's like because they they realize they're the last ones left. So it's like, well, if if we waited for them to all pass over, and 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 Alex is like, I don't want to do this. I didn't sign up for this. This isn't my war. And he's like, but if we waited for them to pass us, then we could come from behind and we could do you know this strategic thing. And Greg is like, well, it's a shame that you're not doing this and then alex and and alex comes back and and finally says okay let's let's do this thing and and then they come out of the asteroid they get picked up on the sensors of the enemies and they wait for them to basically converge so that they're all within a a certain distance of him and that's when he fires the death blossom yeah and i find it interesting that i think maybe this is where they got the idea of hiding in the um, asteroid from star wars because that's what Han and Leia did. They actually hid in an asteroid as the um, the ships, were, as the Tie Fighters were going over the top of them. And they needed to make some repairs to the Falcon. The too. Falcon, yeah. But this is another, you know, it's almost like a a, a callback. So that destroys wow. the so that destroys the the remaining Kodan fighters. With the fleet destroyed, Lord Krill orders Zua executed for his arrogance and failure to ensure victory. But Zua escapes the mothership just before Alex cripples its guidance controls, causing it to crash into Rylos's moon. Now, after Alex and Grig defeat the Kodan Armada, the plan was to have a huge celebration by the Star League, similar to the one in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. There wasn't enough money in the budget, however, to do this, so Nick Castle chose to do a large map painting featuring a composite of the Gunstar and then out to studio shots of the characters. Oh, okay. So that's the that's when they're actually standing on the on the platform and everyone's yeah. cheering and everything. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that George Lucas didn't have the budget for that either. Okay. But when you know that big scene where Leia's presenting the medals and everything. Yeah. It, Lucas didn't have the budget to to do that either. He only had something like thirty or fifty extras, 
And so what he did is he'd have them assemble in one part of the hall, take the picture, move them and rearrange them to another section, to another one, and just did multiple pictures and then blended them all and then edited them all together to make it look like a hall full of people. So just duplicated 30 people into 300. Yeah. So but, wow. well, what he, but, but, but what he would do is he, because they were wearing like different colored costumes and stuff. Yeah. So each time they went into a different section, they'd move them around so the colors weren't all the same. That's that's awesome. See that that's and, that, and, that is really great yeah. thinking. Yeah, the original Star Wars was actually done on what would be considered a shoestring budget, especially for a, a special effects movie and a yeah. CGI movie. And but and and by the time they did that last scene, they were want, they were running out of movie they, or money. They were running out of time, and he really didn't have the ability to do it. So they got creative. Yeah. I've always That's loved awesome. that little fun fact about Star Wars. That's awesome. So Alex has proclaimed the survivor, the savior of Rylos and is invited to help rebuild the Star League. As it is still vulnerable, the frontier has collapsed and Zura escaped. The, an unknown alien approaches, revealing himself as Centauri and explaining that he was in the healing status. Yeah. Alex agrees to stay, but he returns to Earth, landing his ship at the trailer park. This is a really great scene. Um, because you know, there you are, and you know, like Maggie is standing near the um, I mean, it's almost like it's a, almost like a, it's a warning situation. She's standing next to the Starfighter game, and it starts up and it starts making all these noises and talking and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, you see this huge bright light, and of course, it's the um, star, it's Gunstar coming down to land um, at the trailer park. Of course, the entire trailer park run up, and of course, it's it's almost like oh my god, it's a, it's an alien that's, that's landing, but of course, it's not. It's Alex, and Alex has come back to tell her, basically, to say that this is where I've been. You know, that the guy the guy that you thought had done all this stuff wasn't me at all. It was actually a, a baby unit. He was a it was a robot, and Grig tells uh, Alex's mother and the people of the trailer park of Alex's heroic heroism, heroism, heroism. That's what I just said, heroism. Um, but of course, what I find interesting is there's the guy that actually owned the um, the 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 truck that Alex crashed. He's got that look on his face like this is just not real. I'm just not believing this. You know, it's it's, it's like to pay for the truck. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, like you know, when he when this you know this alien is standing there talking to you out of a out of a spaceship, and he's got that look on his face like yeah, as if, this is not real. This is this is bullshit. This is this is not happening. You well, know, talk, talking about this scene. Nick Castle, the director, compares it to a child coming home from college, including introducing his family and friends to a foreign buddy, in this case, Greg, that he befriended, befriended at school. And he says, the whole section is so corny, but fun. It's introducing your alien friend to your folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I find it interesting that, you know, now this is something that I'd actually ask you about. So Alex asks Maggie to come with him because you see, he doesn't know when he's going to be back. Yeah. Now she's, you know, she doesn't want to leave the trailer park. And she says to Alex, I really, you were right. I don't want to leave the trailer park. I'm terrified. And what about Granny? And of course, you know, Granny is basically go, go, enjoy yourself. Go, you know, Yeah. she really, it takes a lot of convincing for Maggie to go with Alex. You know, I mean, do you think she's really that serious about him? Well, A, they're like 16. Yeah. You know, so. You don't know how. You don't, some people learn about love early. My mother was married it's, just after she turned 16 and was married for 52 years when my dad died. Yeah. Okay. Some people get lucky that way. Um, and I don't think that it's, that she's not serious about Alex. Although I don't know, I don't feel that they established in that relationship that they're that much in love. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, it was almost like they hang out, they're dating, but they're not like that serious. Yeah, I never got the feeling that they were that serious. Um, And then, you know, so that's part of it. And the other thing is she's never been outside. You know, she's probably never been more than an hour from that trailer park in her life. Yeah, definitely. And And it's terrifying to think that you might never, ever see any of these home and people ever again. Yeah, and it was it was hard. I think this is why Alex. It took Alex a little while to try and get her to come around. Well, join him. Granny was the one who got her to go. Well, I mean, when Alex gets on the ship and he starts to go back up into the gun star, you know, she is looking as if to say, 
God, I want to join you, but I've got Granny and I want to join you and I've got Granny. And then suddenly that's when she does look at Granny and say, you know, Granny, and she goes, go, go, you know, yeah. basically go and enjoy your life, yeah. you know. So Lewis is inspired to join Alex and begins to play the Starfighter game. And of course, the movie then fades to black. We get the tray, we get the credits, and that is the end of the movie. Yep. I thought it was fun. I thought it was great. I mean, from zero to five movie reels being zero being how do I get the last 101 minutes of my life back to five being it was a perfect movie. And I've watched this immediately again. What would you give this movie? Um, I'd probably give it a solid three. Oh yeah, I'll give it a four. I like I like this movie. I, was, I couldn't give I can't give it a five. Thanks, be, thanks partly because you've told me that they can't understand with the translator. I loved my life before I met you with the movies. <laughs> I wanted to just just sit, I just wanted to just sit there and just basically look into my own world and go. It doesn't matter. I don't understand that. I'll just leave it alone. But you go, hang on a minute, <laughs> and that's when I sit there and go. I can only give it a four. Yeah, I want to give it a four, but I might be, I could probably go up to three and a half. You know, one thing I like about this movie, and I know it's funny to hear me say this because, you know, I, I watch amazingly horrible movies, but this was the first movie that was did not have a swear word in it. Oh, yeah. it wasn't not one. Good. Well, actually, on that same um, note that um, they they actually on the scene where the spy was being killed um, and they had his, that beam of light come into his head. Um, they actually had it go farther and had it like melt him and stuff like that. But they decided that it was just too intense and that it was just too much. And so they cut it. Yeah. I mean, they were trying to, uh, you know, aiming it for a younger audience. And as I said, I would have seen, I would have been, you know, 12, 13 when I saw it. So yeah, that would have been rather intense. I thought the, the scene was intense enough. And I think yeah. the, the fact that they cut it where they cut it was actually a very, very good choice because, yeah. you know, it was it was enough to understand exactly what they were gonna what they were doing to him. Um, but it was it didn't go so far as to sit there and go, yeah, that that was not a good idea. Because remember, you know, in a lot of movies, uh, studios, if you go too far, then suddenly your PG rating suddenly becomes an M rating. And that's the thing is, is, okay, so Nick Castle points out, it hurts when you see someone's brains fry. Ron Cobb, um, the set designer, um, added that there was more to this scene, which included the entire head melting away. This was not added to the final cut of the film because of how gruesome it was. At the time of the release, the PG-13 hadn't been developed, so too much graphic violence could trigger an R rating. But I find that really interesting because it was just a year after this that we had Raiders of the Lost Ark with Coat's head exploding and the other guy's uh, face melting. Yeah, I mean, I think. It's, oh, no, sorry, Tote and the and the Nazi leader melted, and Bullock's head exploded. Yeah, and that I was know. a PG movie. Yeah, I, I think it's it's different studios' opinions. Yeah, I don't know. Well, no, it's the MPAA that determines the rating. So it's interesting that these guys thought that the the face melting was too intense, but then you get that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, which still makes me put my hands over my eyes every time I watch it. Yeah. That scene always gets me. Yeah, I mean, and I would have loved that this last Starfighter could have been made a sequel, because you know it's it's left open. You know, you've got you know um, the Armada's being gone, but Zua's you know disappeared, and we so it would have actually been a really great movie if there had been a sequel. But a standalone movie like this, it's just 101 minutes of just fun and just you know just entertainment for entertainment's sake. You know, and I I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, so yeah, I'm giving it a four. I'll give it a Do you have any more fun facts at the end of the movie? No, I'm out of fun facts. Okay, so on saying that, where can they find us? On social media at Home Class Movie Chat. And they can find us on Instagram at Home Class Movie Chat. And they can send a, a direct message at hello at homeclassmoviechat.com. Okay, I'm going to stop talking so you can take us out. Oh, sorry, Minnie, it's been so long since I've done this. <laughs> well, we want to thank everyone for joining us today. 
If you like the podcast, please subscribe on the platform where you listen and please make sure to tell your friends about it because we'd love to have them come and join us for the home class movie chat. So then you can talk about what we talk about of watching the movies. And in the meantime, we'll see you at the movies. Thank you.